Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple. No ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos. Instead, readers get in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams and leagues inside and out. Today, my listeners can get 40% off by visiting theathletic.com and using the promo code PATSBEAT. That means the subscription will cost you just $2.99 a month. Again, subscribe today by going to theathletic.com slash PATSBEAT or just use the promo code PATSBEAT for 40% off and to be a part of the future of sports journalism. Hey everybody, it's Trags and it's Wednesday, February 27th in time for episode 287 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and of course, Follow us on Twitter, at Patriots CLNS. As the Patriots staff get ready to head off to Indianapolis for their annual meat market known as the NFL Combine, now through next Monday, thought it would be a great time to welcome back our own Evan Lazar to discuss what the Patriots will be looking for this week and focus on some of the hot and under-the-radar names we should be keeping an eye on at some key positions of need and depth for the defending Super Bowl champs. Evan is on the ground now at Lucas Oil Stadium, or just outside Lucas Oil, in the heart of Naptown, covering the NFL Combine for us at CLNS Media. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing well. I got here at Indianapolis this morning, plane filled with uh, Patriots Media, myself, uh, Albert Breer, the uh, the PFW guys were all on my flight, so a bunch of us all of a sudden showed up this morning at Logan, and uh, we're all here now. And you actually, um, reading your Twitter feed, you ran into the uh, uh, future coach, uh, the newest coach of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, so that was actually pretty funny. I was in line uh, at Delta Airlines in Terminal A at Logan, and I turn around uh, in the bag drop line. I turn around, and Brian Flores is just standing right behind me. And uh, he recognized me. I recognized him, obviously. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, that was my first question was because, obviously, I just assumed that he was in Miami permanently now, but he's still got family up here. We had a great conversation. He said that, you know, it was really kind of a whirlwind for him the 12 hours after the Super Bowl between winning it and then going and flying down to Miami, getting introduced as the Dolphins head coach. And now he's really been 
hammering on the Dolphins roster, learning the players that he's going to be coaching next year that are under contract and now uh, starting to get a little bit into the draft stuff now. So it's been definitely, it sounds like to me, like he's been, um, you know, pretty busy over the last couple of weeks, as you would expect. That's great. Before we get into what or more of what football fans really want to talk about, Evan, this, this time of year, we do have to discuss the elephant in the room, and that's the misdemeanor charges of soliciting prostitution that Patriots owner Robert Kraft is facing you know, in Jupiter, Florida. Patriots last Friday immediately came out with a statement denying anything illegal took place in Kraft's visit to Florida in January during the Patriots' most Recent Super Bowl run, we of course learned from the affidavit it was uh, the Saturday before the AFC Championship and actually the morning of the AFC Championship that these alleged uh, incidents took place. The authorities say there's video evidence of Kraft involved um, in a sex act and on Monday the league came out with a statement saying that our personal conduct policy applies equally to everyone in the NFL We'll handle this investi- uh, allegation the same way we would handle any issue under that policy. We are seeking a full understanding of the facts while ensuring that we do not interfere with any ongoing law enforcement investigation. We, we will take appropriate action as warranted based on the facts. End of statement. Evan, your take on the significance of the statement and what um, Robert Kraft is up against. Well, I think that for me, I just really, I kind of hope that Kraft doesn't get into a whole long legal battle um, with the Jupiter, Florida police and district attorney and have this kind of string out for a year or a year and a half, as we know that legal cases can do, because I don't think that's the best in, in the best interest of anybody. I don't think it's in the best interest of Bob Kraft and his business and the Patriots and everything else, because it's just going to be a distraction that's kind of holding over uh, the team's head for the next year or so. Every single time, you know, he has to appear in court or every time it comes back into the news cycle, it's not all that different. Obviously, it's a much different case, but it's not all that different than like a deflate gate kind of scenario where you just keep hearing about it. Whereas if he is able to plead no contest or even admits fault and kind of takes a slap on the wrist from the police down there, then it goes away in that regard. And I think he's already lost the court of public opinion. Like, I think everybody already, you know, thinks uh, what what they're going to think about him, regardless of if he gets off with it or not, you know, in a legal battle. So here's my take on this. It is a PR battle and an image battle he is battling more than it is a legal battle. Obviously, there's a legal element to this, but there is a fine line to walk here between coming out as the organization did. The spokesperson for Robert Kraft came out on Friday and uh, vehemently denied that anything illegal took place. I think you have to move on from that and have Robert Kraft address publicly this whole incident and do the best job you can of saying, here's what's happened. Um, I'm addressing it as something that I uh, regret deeply took place um, and try to move on from it from there. If I don't even know if uh, Robert Kraft wants to go down the path of saying that he has you know, deeper issues that he needs to deal with uh, involving a situation like this. I don't know if he even wants to go down that road. But I can tell you that in the court of public opinion, if he comes out and acknowledges the story and says, I deeply, deeply regret 
the distraction that this has caused on the on the franchise, you know, in the afterglow of a sixth Super Bowl title. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I did. I think we're on the same page here. Just, I would like to see him kind of do his best to put it behind him immediately instead of having this thing, you know, go for a long time. Because once it starts to go into the season, for example, and he's appearing in court and let's, you know, in the middle of of, a, of the season, no matter when it is, regular season playoffs or what whatnot, then that all of a sudden just becomes so much more the story uh, than anything going on on the field. I mean, we've already seen how the media and, and the attention that this story has gotten just over the last, you know, couple of days since it broke. I mean, it's insane the amount of local coverage and even national coverage that this story is getting. This will be front page news for as long as Bob Kraft allows it to be front page news. So I, I guess, you know, I think the best that he needs to almost think about everybody else in this case and, and think about what's best for the organization, what's best for the Patriots, which is, you know, usually what he tries to do anyway. So it shouldn't be too far off the beaten path. Okay, on to the real football now with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNS Media. He is on the ground in Indianapolis and will be giving us wall-to-wall coverage of the NFL Combine. Having spoken, Evan, with so many NFL personnel people in the past, this week is not as much about the times and the measurements. Obviously, that makes for great TV, and the NFL Network will, of course, be all over that. To me, it's not as much about that as it is getting to know these athletes and teams, getting their first contact with the young men they are thinking of investing millions of dollars in. It's the interviews that mean a lot to these teams that put a lot of the time and effort into this. What are three questions you would ask every player if you were Bill Belichick or Nick Casario? Well, I think the first question is, is what are your interests outside of football, right? And I actually... I think that's a question that I would want an honest answer to. I wouldn't want necessarily, and maybe this is the case, and you can you know tell when you're face to face with somebody if it's genuine. If they come out and they say, "Oh, all I do is grind tape 24/7," you're not a coach, you're not a personnel guy. I don't believe you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have right. to have something else. And I also, I also think that you have to have something else outside of football that piques your interest because it can't be football 24/7. 365. So I think that that's an important question, number one. Number two, I think that the number two and three kind of go hand in hand. And that all starts with, you know, what do they see on film? And I would actually pull up a play from a Patriots game or a game in the NFL last season that has absolutely nothing to do with them and see what they pick out about the play. Don't ask them, like, what scheme are they running or any specific questions. I'm just curious to hear what is it about the play that sticks out to them and if they can break it down from a more of like a, a film breakdown type of way. From and not their just position say, oh, that perspective. Was a, right. That, oh, that was a really good catch or that was a really good tackle. Like what do they really see as the play is breaking down? What are they watching? What, where are their eyes going? I think that that would be really interesting to me because that then you can kind of there you can get a genuine sense of how much these guys are football junkies and how much football they invest in and how much time they take to study their craft. 
So I think that's a big thing. Maybe it, it's, you know, if it's a defensive lineman, maybe you're showing him Aaron Donald or you're showing him Trey Flowers or whatever the case may be to just kind of get a gauge of what is it that they know and what they don't know about it. And I think the third one kind of goes hand in hand with that. But I would show a positive play of theirs and a negative play of, of theirs from last season in college, a positive play to show kind of, you know, how do they react to it? Are they boisterous about it or are they saying, oh, yeah, I really killed that guy or that was a sick catch? Or are they telling you how they got to that point, the process of getting to it? And then obviously, how do they handle criticism? You know, if you're going to be a Patriots player, we hear about it all the time, Travis, with the Patriots, you got to be open to criticism. You're right. going to get coached in New England. You're going to get told when you were wrong. They have film sessions for the Patriots do during the week, win or lose, where Bill Belichick stands up there with a clicker and goes for an hour or two hours of all the things that they did wrong in the previous game. So you're going to have that kind of you know coaching, and they're going to ride you really hard. If you're an offensive lineman, Dante Scarnecchia, you're going to get sick of his voice by the end of the season yelling at you for various things. So I think that that's, you know, you got to figure out how these guys guys handle criticism as well that's a great point evan and i know phil perry um earlier on tuesday tweeted out something from albert breer on an observation about new defensive coordinator greg Schiano, and it was it's going to be tough it's going to be tough it's going to be direct and there's no sugar coating when you are playing in new england Right. And I think that, that it's great that Shiano has that kind of mindset because I think it's going to fit in well with the Patriots. And Brian Flores was a tough coach, too. A lot of the Patriots defensive players told me last year that he was very critical in, in, a, in a, you know, in a good way. And, and he was really constructive yeah thanks and, and and he was really bringing out the best in those players by being constructive and telling them what they needed to hear and only what they needed to hear and not sugarcoating anything so i think shiana is going to fit in great and now they got to go out and they got to find players that are going to be open to criticism a guy that i think that they kind of missed on because they figured he would be because of his alabama background with nick saban was cyrus jones Cyrus Jones was not mentally ready for the bad things that happened to him his rookie season. Uh, he was not mentally prepared to have that criticism, to have that uh, expectations and the weight on his shoulders when things went wrong and have all that negativity around him. I think the Patriots thought because of the Bama background that he was going to be like that, but you kind of have to learn that thing in that interview room or when they come and visit later on in the process. Okay, I'm going to ask you two questions. How do you think Bill Belichick and Nick Casario – view the NFL combine differently now and what are they what they've learned over the past you know over the past in in recent years like you bring up the Cyrus Jones example about ways to maybe identify a player who may or may not be ready for criticism and two how do they view this NFL combine differently than the other 31 teams yeah, well, actually, I think that the, the Patriots, in terms of what actually happens on the field, I don't know how much they necessarily care about all of that. They really send a pretty small contingent to the combine. It's usually only Belichick and Casario and a couple of other scout type guys. I know that he's also brought in like guys like Brett Bielema and some other guys that know these guys a little bit better from coaching in college along with him as well. But I, I think the biggest thing is, is that they really want to get to know these guys. They want to know if they're going to fit the culture because really uh, we talk about this all the time with your Cincinnati Bengals tracks. It's about a culture, right? Yep. It's, it's a, it's about having everybody 
um, you know, on the same page, working, pulling on the rope together and having that culture and wanting to be great and wanting greatness out of themselves. And I think that's really where this whole combine thing comes from uh, for the Patriots. And I, I think the other 31 teams, not to say that all of them do this, it's certainly not true, um, but some of the teams get caught up too much in some of the drills that go on here this week. Uh, the the uh, 40-yard dashes, for example, you know, this is always like a big Oakland Raiders thing with Al Davis. You ran a 4-3-40, you were going to be a Raider. Right. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. I don't think that happens as bad as it used to but i will say that as the patriots have brought in in more analytics you know perspective into their scouting some of these drills that we're going to see today the big or this week the big one the three cone drill but also just certain splits that happen like the 10 yard split for offensive linemen in the 40 really measures their explosiveness and and how they're going to get off the ball same with defensive linemen there are some good you know predictive numbers that you can look at where you say okay these were the top guys in the three cone drill at the cornerback position over the last you know five years you're going to obviously see some misses but you're also going to see some big time hits some you know big uh, all pro guys and pro bowlers so there are some things i think now that we're looking at more or from an analytic perspective that come out of this combine that are just, you know, John Ross running a, a 4-2-2 or whatever it was last year or the year before. And and now uh, on Tuesday came news that the Bengals are uh, taking offers for John Ross, yeah, uh, their first right. round number nine overall Perfect pick. week for that to come, you know, uh, for that story to come out with him breaking the combine 40 record two years ago and now he's getting on, on the trade block, so. All right. Uh, speaking with Evan Lazar of NFL or of uh, CLNS Media dot uh, com, covering the NFL Combine for us. Uh, you're obviously going to have to follow him all week long. Cover him or follow him on Twitter at e z l a z a r. Um, he will have you absolutely covered wall to wall. You've been rolling out these this week, players to watch, and I think we yeah. have to start with the quarterbacks. Obviously, the Pats are set with Tom Brady, but this draft, to me, is all about Brady's replacement three to four years down the road, maybe sooner, but let's say three to four years down the road. They're almost certainly not getting their hands on Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins, right? I mean, those those names are going to be completely off the board. They're not um, going to be available uh, at 32, but when you start talking Daniel Jones from Duke, and you did some great film breakdown on Drew Locke from Missouri, any others that Patriot fans should keep a close eye on in terms of quarterbacks? Yeah, for me, I think it's a three-headed monster of guys that have starting potential down the road that are also obtainable for the Patriots in this draft. Unfortunately, I just don't see Haskins, Murray, or even Drew Locke being on the board unless the Patriots move up in the draft. It'll draft Locke. Locke, to me, is a better version of Josh Allen, and Josh Allen went top 10 last year. So I just don't see how he falls anywhere near the Patriots range. But the three-headed monster is Daniel Jones from Duke, good quick passing rhythm passer when he's not under pressure when he has a clean pocket and he's getting the ball out of his hands quickly he can be effective and that sounds pretty familiar with what you know some of the things that Tom Brady has been able to do in his career so his quick passing and kind of the way that his uh you know scheme at Duke translates into what the Patriots want to do he was also uh mentored by the Manning brothers uh coach Cutliffe down there at Duke is kind of known as a QB guru so to speak so he has a 
pretty good background in terms of what he's been coached in and his mental uh, aspect of the game as well. The other one is obviously Will Greer from West Virginia. Everybody loves Will Greer. He's got a lot of moxie. He's an extremely clutch performer. He elevates his game in the biggest moments late. Obviously, that Texas game uh, late in the year is the big one that stands out where he led a game-winning drive and he dropped a 40-yard touchdown pass uh, to beat Texas. That was kind of, you know, the the moment where a lot of people, a lot of Patriots fans were saying, all right, this guy has that clutch gene, um, that it factor that the Patriots are going to be looking for. I'm really curious to see how Will Greer throws this weekend. He has a little bit of a deliberate release. It's not um, quite as smooth as I think the Patriots would like to see. It's definitely not Jimmy Garoppolo or Tom Brady-esque where it's, you know, out in half a second. It's a little bit more of a windmill type of release. So I'm I'm interested to see if he has kind of changed that at all or if he's just saying this is who I am and I'm going with it and see what happens there. And the third name is kind of more of a dark horse guy, but I really like him. It's Boise State's Brett Ripon. Um, He's a a little bit smaller so this week measurables will be big for him how big are his hands how tall is he really I know these things sound kind of uh, you know ridiculous but hand size in particular for the Patriots is pretty important because they're going to be playing in bad weather games a lot of the time sure if you have a quarterback that has smaller hands you can't really ball handle as well as a quarterback that has bigger hands so that's a, a big thing to look at for Ripon but Ripon has a lightning quick release he's super accurate he makes some of the best throws down the field in this class of any Anybody besides uh, maybe Kyler. Kyler Murray, you know, obviously drops some crazy throws, but he's a, a very accurate quarterback, gets the ball out quickly. And out of the three that I named, I would say that Ripon is the furthest along in terms of uh, reading a progression and reading a defense. He has a pretty good understanding of coverages and how safety rotations work and stuff like that. So I really like Ripon. I just wonder if he's big enough uh, and has the hand size and all that kind of stuff the Patriots look for in a quarterback. And the biggest thing for quarterbacks in general uh, this week is going to be throw velocity. The combine since 2008, they've been tracking literally in miles per hour, like they do with a baseball pitcher, how fast these guys are throwing in these drills. And the Patriots actually have a pretty steady threshold of like the mid fifties, 56 miles per hour is the number that both Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo hit exactly Last year, all the guys that we talked about in the lead-up to the draft, Lamar Jackson, Kyle Luletta, uh, Logan Woodside, all these you know guys that we said, oh, these guys could maybe fit the Patriots, did not hit that threshold. Danny Etling did hit that threshold, and they ended up drafting him instead of all those other guys. So it, it seems to be something that they do look for. And speaking of Danny Etling, how does he play in all of this? Uh, he was signed to a futures contract, obviously, to keep him um, in the organization. But uh, is he in the conversation um, come, you know, the spring and eventually the summer? Yeah, it's interesting because when you watch his LSU tape, you say, okay, maybe this guy, I mean, he went in the seventh round. So obviously you're saying, all right, maybe this guy is going to be the future backup. Maybe he's the future Brian Hoyer. I also have heard from, you know, uh, m- multiple people that are connected to LSU that he was an incredible scout team quarterback. Like, he could mimic any quarterback uh, in the SEC uh, pretty easily, whether it was a mobile guy, a non-mobile guy, and that is obviously something that the Patriots defense in particular talked a lot about with Brian Hoyer in the Super Bowl was Brian Hoyer's job of mimicking uh, Jared Goff and how that really helped them prepare. So 
he kind of has backup quarterback written all over it for me. But at the same time, you know, he's an extremely hard worker. Everybody's been saying that he's been trying to kind of replicate Tom Brady's in-season schedule to, uh, you know, hang with Brady, which is kind of hard to believe because that guy's insane. But I think that there are some things that the Patriots do like about him. And that throw velocity, again, he was one of those guys that hit that kind of threshold. He threw, you know, 55 miles an hour on average, which is right around where they want. And they passed on a lot of other guys that people talked about way more in the lead up to the draft in terms of Patriots fits. And he was the one that they went with. Do they take a quarterback in, I think, what, they have six picks in the first two days over the first yeah, that's uh, three correct. rounds? Uh do you think it's more likely that they take the quarterback in the first two days or wait till day three? I think that if they're going to do it, I would assume that they look at Danny Etling as a good backup and potential, um, you know, future backup for this team. So to take another guy on day three in that point in the draft is probably a little bit redundant. But I, I think that Greer and Ripon, and on a lesser degree, Daniel Jones, because I think Daniel Jones is going to go first round, and I, I don't know if they're ready to go first round quarterback quite yet. I don't right. know if, if that's really the scenario that they want to go. But if Ripon or Greer have a good showing here this week and they throw that, uh, hit that velocity meter and all that kind of stuff, and they like what they get out of them in the interview room, I could definitely see them taking either one of those guys on day two. Give us some of the names you'll be keeping a close eye on this week, Evan, that uh, maybe we'll come to know a lot better after Indy and why this combine could really help them out. Uh, give us like maybe three or four names. Sure. So I, I think the starting with the wide receiver position, a lot of people have talked about Riley Ridley um, and the Georgia wide receiver with the Patriots. He's got a great route running skill set. His brother, Calvin Ridley, who's now a member of the Atlanta Falcons, the Patriots were apparently very high on him last year. Uh, Riley is not quite as good of a prospect, I don't think, right now as Calvin was. So I, I'm going with NC State wide receiver Kelvin Harmon right now, who I think is a little bit more polished than Ridley is, and he's also bigger than Ridley. Uh, he's a six foot three, 215-pound possession receiver. This is not a guy that you need to throw the ball to you know, 50, 60 yards down the field for him to be effective. He's really a move-the-chains kind of guy and really fits, I think, nicely into the Patriots offense as a perimeter receiver to give them that kind of 10 to 15 yard range on the outside. The big question for him this week is how does he run? You know, he's a bigger guy. He wins more with physicality and a great catch radius and um, being able to win at the top of the route with his body control and stuff like that. So is he going to run, you know, really the threshold for a receiver somewhere like in the four fives, uh, even if it's the high four fives, as long as you're below four six, you're usually an NFL speed and that that's pretty good. But if he runs anything slower than that, then he's certainly going to be out of the you know, first round wide receiver conversation for a lot of teams. I don't know if it'll fall completely out of the first round, but it'll be a little bit more murky for him. Uh, also at the wide receiver position, I mean, you got the two big ones in Isabella and Hunter Renfro. Andy Isabella, I think, is going from UMass, is, is really going to shock a lot of people here. He gets a lot of the white wide slot wide receiver, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola type comparisons, but he's really a lot different than the 
those guys. He's a, a downfield threat. He's a guy that a lot of people this week expect to run in the four threes and really be a true deep threat from the slot, more like a guy like a T.Y. Hilton uh, potentially in, in, yeah, here in Indianapolis, actually, um, who is more of a deep threat, smaller receiver from the slot instead of a guy that um, you know wins with quickness and, and stuff at the top of the route like a Julian Edelman would. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think the big name is Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson. I'm right. very interested to see how that interview process goes for him with the suspension during the college football playoff and all that stuff. He said that he didn't know that he took an illegal substance. Um, we'll see what his story is like, um, you know, in those interview rooms. But the Patriots obviously have Danny Shelton and Malcolm Brown are both free agents. And I don't think either one of those guys really panned out the way that they were hoping. So if they want to get what's really a true nose tackle um, that can really be an impact player and maybe play on all three downs, Dexter Lawrence is a very, very good player, but he's not the type of player that, Patriots fans have kind of been clamoring for on the interior. That's really like an, a stud pass rusher. He's your typical 350 pound nose tackle who is absolutely dominant with power and against the run. So uh, he, he's a player that I, I really um, think is going to be on their board pretty high and potentially um, there at 32 to be there. And uh, the third name, uh, Taylor Rapp out of Washington, uh, the safety I think that they're going to have to look at safety um, in, in the future here a little bit with Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung getting up there in age. And I, I think Rap is a really nice replacement for Patrick Chung potentially down the road. He's going to be a box safety predominantly. He can cover tight ends one-on-one. He's a really, really good player against the run, probably the best run defender out of the safety class in, in this class. And, uh, you know, I think that he's a player that would really fit in well with the Patriots. He's not a guy that's going to play center field. He's not a free safety. Um, he's really going to be more close to the line of scrimmage. But I think he's kind of one of those uh, Patrick Chung type players that the Patriots would use very well and uh, know exactly where his skill set fits in. Well, great stuff, Evan. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. I want to thank our great sponsor, The Athletic. Also want to thank our terrific guest and colleague, Evan Lazar, covering the Patriots and the NFL Combine from Indianapolis for CLNS Media. Do me a favor, do yourself a favor, and follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. You will not be disappointed this week and 12 months a year covering the NFL. I can guarantee you that. He'll have you covered from the Combine, and all the info will be up on clnsmedia.com. For producer Mike Alonji, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.